So as I said, this week's theme is hope. I'm excited and privileged to be able to speak to you all today on the subject of hope. Um, and I'm believing that just in the Lord, if, whether you're in faith and of faith or not, um, that you will find encouragement, that you'll find uh, clarity, that you'll find a sense of purpose. And I just trust that if you're not of faith today, that the Lord will speak to you and draw you and, um, and you too can have and find this hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. Reading from 1 Peter, it's a letter from the Apostle of Peter towards the end of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9 this morning, starting at the very beginning of Peter's letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God, which for those of us who believe is light unto our path, Lord God. It's encouragement to our hearts its guidance and its clarity for this life. We, we thank you today for the revelation of Jesus Christ within Scripture, and we look for Jesus Christ this morning. We look, Father, for how he is for us, our sufficiency, our light, our life, and our hope, Lord God. We praise you for your word. We thank you in advance in the name of Jesus Christ. We say together, amen. So Peter has um, so much there in that portion of text that I just read, but again, I want to just zero in on this idea of hope. And Peter, when we'll get to it in a moment, actually says that we've been born again into a living hope. And so again, if you are in faith today here, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we have hope, but that hope is alive. That hope is active. That hope is present and I want to look at this morning how that hope for us who believe and even for those who don't believe is available and has a present reality and also a future tense. Like joy, like love, like peace, hope is a foundational character trait of the Christian faith. It's a basis 
for our life experientially, or at least it ought to be. It's foundational in that hope ought to characterize the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And like the others, like joy, like peace, like love, the basis for its understanding and its experience comes primarily not from a what, as in what causes these things, nor as in a where, as in you know where does it come from, but rather, more importantly, it comes from a whom. Hope, love, joy, peace comes from a whom. And the reason that this is important is because when we begin with this idea that it comes from someone, we've already set ourselves up to really truly understand what it is that hope means to us. And in case you're here today for the first time, I would just say there's a spoiler alert. The whom is the Lord Jesus Christ. The whom from which hope comes, from which hope originates, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would just begin by saying this, a good working definition of hope is hope is a state of security coupled with confidence in a person. Hope is a state of security coupled with confidence in a person, a confidence which inspires patience and makes this life possible. Hope is a state of security coupled with confidence in a person. I found that to be so incredibly helpful. So let's just look at that really quick. There's two things in that. It's a state of security. So what does that mean? I think we all have an idea of what it means to be secure. But being in a state of security means that we're free from, be, from threat or danger. We're free from, from anxiety or fear. That's what it means to be in a state of security. How many of us need that hope today? Free from anxiety, free from fear, free from fret, threat, free from threat. Say that one. Free from, free from fret. And it's a state of being safe. It's a state of being stable. That's what hope is. It's stability. It's safety. And as I said, it's confidence in a person. And this is what I read a moment ago in 1 Peter 1.8. He says, you believe in him. Not just you believe about him or you believe what you've heard said of Jesus Christ but you believe in Jesus Christ. So it's anchored and it's focused and it's placed in a person. And as I'll say probably a hundred times today, that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 71 says, In you, O Lord, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. For you are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. You, in you, it's focused, it's fixed, it's anchored, it's placed, you guys. And we'll get into this more in just a moment. But we spend so much time looking for this safety, looking for this stability in things that are not ultimately safe and stable, that keep us from fear or keep us from anxiety. In you, O oh Lord, do I take refuge, for you are my hope. The true source of hope is not only a present state in light of what God has done and what God can do. Listen, it's not just a present reality, but more importantly, it's a, an abiding confidence. Listen to this. 
Hope is an abiding confidence in what God will do. Hope is anchored in the past, the present, and more importantly, in the future of what will be. So it's not just that God is able and that God will, and not only do we just hold to the promises of God as revealed in the word, but we look forward to that which is not yet and that which he promises he will do, and we anchor ourselves in those places. And that is, again, where stability is. And that is where safety is. For the Christian, hope is rooted in a promise. As Paul would tell to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. The him is Jesus Christ. As a Christ follower, our hope is fixed firmly in the certainty that God, out of his great love, that God, out of his great love, will renew all of creation following the disruption that was caused by the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That is our hope, that God is in the process, that God's promise is that he will renew all things. And everything between the garden and that moment is the work of God bringing about that promise. That is where our hope lies as a Christ follower. And like it was said last week regarding peace, the assurance of our hope lies in the certainty of that plan, that it will happen, that it will come to completion, that God will do that which he said he will do. And I was thinking about it this week as I prepared. For a Christian, the hope that we have in that sense of the past, the present, and the future is this. We look back to the cross at this space and time where we live as a Christian. Our hope lies in the security that the cross has brought for us, but it points to that which God will do in the end, the renewal of all things. And it's cyclical in that that reminds us of what God did in the cross. And the cross, again, points to what will be. But in the meantime, we keep looking back and we keep looking forward and we look back and we look forward and we find ourselves anchored and stable in that truth. And like peace, hope too has its origins in the garden. And it finds its finality in the new earth as revealed to us in Revelation. It began in the beginning, hope did, and it ends at the end of all of creation. Let me give you just a, a, a glimpse of this history of hope throughout time. In Genesis 3.15, we see that hope is promised to creation. And this is the text that we often read in the Advent because it speaks almost immediately post-sin. God provides a glimpse of hope of the promise of what will be the restoration from man's fall from sin. Almost as immediately as sin enters into the world, God speaks and prophesies of the one who will come one day and restore peace again between God and man. And in that, hope is first seen. 
The Lord is speaking to the serpent. He says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And he's speaking of Jesus, the Christ, who would one day come. This is in the very beginning in Genesis. And so we see here that God promises the hope of creation would come restoring peace between God and man once again. And then what would follow this promise all throughout the centuries of the Old Testament is the promised hope, the one who would reconcile his people back to himself is revealed to us throughout the Old Testament and shown again and again and again. He's pointed to, he's foreshadowed, he's prophesied of, Everything within the Old Testament is pointing to the one, he who would bruise the head of the serpent, Jesus Christ. And so hope is spoken of. Hope is prophesied. It's birthed in the garden, and it's spoken of all throughout the, whole, the Old Testament. And then we know, of course, the message was this, that soon the earth would receive its king. Jesus Christ, whom scriptures call the hope of Israel. Israel being a picture of God's people in the Old Testament. Israel, the nation, was God's chosen people whom God said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will care for you. I will lead you. I will call you my own. I will preserve you and I will bring you into the promise that I have for you. And so we now, as the church, are those who are a part of this new Israel, God's chosen people. And so the message was, the earth would soon receive its king. And then we know everything between these two points, between these points of the garden and the cross, in human history is that hope is being worked out by God on behalf of his creation. And then towards the end of that period, what do we have? We have 400 years where it's silent. The hearts of men are longing. God isn't speaking again. He's not prophesying anything that he hasn't already said it. See, just see, the prophets are silent and men are waiting and hearts are longing for the revelation of this king, for the revelation of the hope of Israel. And then in Matthew 2 and in Luke 2, they would record the birth of this promised hope. Hope dawns on the earth. And John, in his beautiful and eloquent words that echo throughout history in John 1, says that hope has become flesh. He says the word of God became flesh. And so we have now the embodiment of hope in Jesus Christ. So what began in the garden, what was spoken of throughout the Old Testament, suddenly takes on bodily form in Jesus Christ. And hope is personified in the person of Jesus. That he became flesh, that he dwelt among us. And John says that we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Matthew 12 records this. He says, here is my servant, this is the Lord speaking, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will one hear his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice to victory. And then the NIV translate this last sentence as this, in his name the nations will put their hope. 
speaking of Jesus Christ. Here is my servant, the one whom my, my spirit is upon. And then we know after the work of Jesus on earth was complete, after he goes to the cross, after the work of the cross is complete, he ascends to the right hand of the Father, thus solidifying and securing our hope in himself. Listen to this, if you are of faith today. His ascension, Jesus Christ's ascension from earth to the right hand of the Father secures our hope in him as the victorious reigning king over all kings. He is our resurrected, and as Peter would say in the text that we read, he's our living hope. He's alive today. He's ruling today. He's in a place of power. He's not here on earth, but he's within the hearts of men by his spirit. And then hope takes on a new iteration. Jesus resurrects. Jesus ascends. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hope is risen. Hope is living. And what does he do? He doesn't leave us alone, but he sends hope by the security in the inward attestation to the hearts of men and women, women by his Holy Spirit. Hope was not yet complete. Acts 2 records this securing as the Holy Spirit given to the church as a deposit and promise of the fulfillment of our hope, which would one day be. The Holy Spirit is given to the church as a deposit of what will someday be. It's a guarantee He's a down payment. He's what we look towards. He's what we look for when we're not feeling as though these things are true. As the, in our, our sight of what will be seems to be clouded and uncertain. The Holy Spirit testifies to our hearts. Don't forget, this is true. This is what I've been working towards since the beginning of time. And because such, Paul tells us in Romans 5, as we read in the beginning this morning, that we have a hope that doesn't disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. By whom? By ourselves. By the ascension of our understanding of what Scripture says? No, by the Holy Spirit. We have a hope that doesn't disappoint because the Holy Spirit testifies because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And this Holy Spirit testifies of this hope by sealing and confirming us as God's children, heirs of hope by whom we call out to God as Father. And until that day, when hope is fulfilled, for us, as Revelation records, in Revelation 23, when it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people when hope is finally realized and actualized in its finality. When God, as Dean spoke so well of last week, in the peace restored, the, 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 the God's journey of, of bringing peace once again as, as he had established in the garden, so too hope is finalized and actualized in the restoration and the recreation of all things being made new. And he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the hope that we have. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, 
nor shall there be crying, nor is there pain. There's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no sadness, there's no fear. There's only what? Stability, safety, joy, peace, love, all of it fully realized and actualized. And then he says this at the end of Revelation, excuse me, (coughs) of that passage of Revelation, the former things have passed away. They're gone, they're done, they're over with. So once again we see throughout the chronology of history, throughout all of mankind, the promise, the given hope is given to us in the garden. It's promised in the garden. It's revealed all throughout the Old Testament. It's actualized and personified in Jesus Christ. It's secured in his resurrection. It's imparted into us by his spirit, who, again, Peter says that we are being guarded by God's power through faith. And it's consummated at his return. And so hope has existed for all time. And so we find ourselves now today at the close of 2019 and the beginning of 2020 on this side of the cross, on this side of his death and resurrection, but yet looking towards that final day when it will one day be. And here we find ourselves. And how do we live in this hope? How does this truth of what I've just said now affect the way that we live and the way that we see things today? See, this is our encouragement. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, this hope has been secured, as I already said. And listen, like our salvation, it's a security that is by Jesus and through Jesus, apart from anything that we can do. Can I say that again? Much like, just like the salvation that we have received. I was in the middle of saying something very important. (laughs) But I remember what it was. Yep, I know right right where I am. I was going to reiterate once again that just like our salvation that was secured by Jesus Christ. Are you going to give it to me? Thank you. That was secured by Jesus Christ that's kept by Jesus Christ, that it will be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Our hope is no different. It's, not, it's apart from the things that we do, aside from us taking a hold of it in faith, because it requires faith on our part. But the importance of it is this, is the hope exists whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not. And we know, of course, for us who are in Christ Jesus, let's take a hold of that in faith. Let's take a hold of what God has promised to us. And as I've just said, what he's been doing all throughout history. Hope isn't just for those who have come into Jesus Christ now on this side of the cross. It's always been. But for us today, let's take a hold of it. Let's live in it. Let's live in this place of looking forward to the promise of what he will do. 
to the promise of the renewal of all things and looking back to what the cross has accomplished in securing for us this hope, this love, and this peace. And we live in this tension of the both of them now today. What's more is this, unlike those who lived by faith in the Old Testament of a hope that was not yet seen, those in the Old Testament had to live with the foreshadowings, with the prophecies, with the hope of what they believed would be. But you guys, we have a different point of reference today. We have seen him, as John 1 tells us. We have beheld his glory. We see him today. He has revealed himself to us, and his Holy Spirit has been given to us. He who was promised lives within you and lives within me through faith in him. This is the living hope that Peter speaks of. Jesus Christ, the risen king, is with us. He confirms us. He secures us. He compels us. He prompts us. He leads us. He encourages us. He holds us. All of those things he does in spite of us. Reminding us in each and every moment of the promised hope that will one day be realized at the end of the ages. Paul says this. Let me read this to you. In Romans chapter 8, this living hope, he says this in verse 23. And not only the creation, going back, actually, let me read from verse 22. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the future of what will be. We have an inward groaning, waiting for this day. The redemption of our bodies, verse 24, and he says this, for in this hope, what hope? He wasn't speaking about hope. Yes, he was. The redemption of our bodies. This is the future hope that we have. The consummation of all things when Christ will renew all things according to his redemptive plan. For in this hope we were saved, it says. This is what we were saved into. It's a future tense, our faith is. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And again, that was part of that definition of what is hope. It's a security coupled with confidence in a person that produces a patient ability to continue and to live. This is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, as I said, here we find ourselves today, and I'll say this, hope is like a muscle. If it's not used, it will atrophy. If it doesn't go, if it goes unused, it won't be strong. So God in his infinite wisdom, knowing this, chose As Peter says, various trials, God chose sufferings by which to help us exercise this muscle. 
As Peter says, in this you rejoice. And Paul would say later in 2 Corinthians 4 that these light and momentary afflictions are producing in us an eternal weight of glory. God uses sufferings. God uses trials. God uses momentary affliction to exercise our hope muscle. Some of us need to hit the hope gym, right? That was stupid. That was, that was really corny, actually. Scratch that from the recording. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Oh, I'm turning into my father. <laughs> he said it. He said it. <clears throat> so suffering is a means by often we exercise this muscle of hope. In difficulties, hope provides a bubble-like safe place in which we exist for that time being. In those difficulties, hope is that insulary space where God keeps us, holds us, compels us, sustains us, while we patiently endure, while we remain steadfast, while we remain faithful, while we continue, God holds and preserves. In this, we need to know and we must remind ourselves, church, that we will receive at the end of our suffering that what we will receive will make all of the hardships we experience worth it. In these sufferings, in these trials, in these circumstances, we keep looking forward again and we say, it's going to be worth it. I say to you guys today, it will be worth it. The sufferings that you experience, the trials that you have endured and have yet to endure because there will be more. The promise is that as you engage in faith, that you hold fast to hope that the cost will be worth it in the end, God will keep you and God will save you. See, this is the eternal mindset. This is us looking forward to eternity future. Like a mother in the throes of childbirth who knows in that moment that the pain is worth it and necessary for the life that will be. And you guys are going, well, yeah, you're a man. You have no idea. That's right. You can say that. I've seen five of them birth, so I know what it's like from an outsider perspective. <clears throat> or like an athlete who's training, who uh, Paul uses the metaphor, I beat my body and I make it my slave. An athlete endures hardship, endures suffering, self-afflicted for what? For the end goal. He holds out hope or she holds out hope for what will be the prize that will be attained at the end of the race. That's the hope. It's like the mother hoping for the life. It's like the athlete hoping for the prize. The Christian hopes for what will be. And in light of that hope, we beat our bodies. We make it our slaves. We submit ourselves to the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to self-rule and self-discipline because it's necessary to bring about that which God wants to do. It, and it isn't just about that. But it's also, again, it's now, but it's rooted there, right? So we don't just live as wanderers who have checked out in the present tense. We engage, we're present, 
but we're hopeful. And so what about hope in life when trials are not pervasive? Should we expect and seek hope to still be vibrant within our lives? Absolutely, because hope is aimed at something. Hope is anchored in someone. It comes from someone. Therefore, it's always presently active. Regardless of suffering, we're just thankful. And as Scripture again tells us to rejoice in the sufferings, we're thankful in hindsight that the sufferings and the trials have happened because of what it builds within us. But in the meantime, we still look towards what will be. And regardless of the amount of external pressure, hope remains. Hope continues as a driving force. How so? Well, we hope in God for our daily bread, for our day-to-day, minute-to-minute life. We hope in the promise, not just, gosh, I hope I'm going to get what I need. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. It's a confidence rooted in a person. I know I will have what I need because God's word reveals it to me. And God's promise tells me that he will complete what he began. Therefore, I know I will have what I need for this day. Hope in God for the unknown. What does the future hold? What does tomorrow hold? What does this afternoon hold? Nobody knows. You can't tell me that you know when you walk out the door what will be. But the life of a Christian is so diametrically opposite from that of someone who is outside of Christ because regardless of what happens, I know that my life is secure. I know what will be regardless of what is. Hoping God to lead us and to guide us along his righteous path. That's a hope that we have regardless of trials. So while hope sustains amidst adversity and trial, it remains as an anchor each day throughout as we pursue the good works that we were created for. See, the hope of the Christian is what will be, thereby holding our present what is, our present reality. The hope of the Christian is is what will be, and it holds our what is. It holds our present reality in perfect tension with God's love and goodness and sovereignty. It gives us a lens by which we view all of these things today. So I want to say this. Hope outside of Jesus Christ is not hope. It's not true hope. It's often desire. It's often wishfulness. Hope is only true hope when it is tied to something that is fixed, something that's unchangeable, something that's unfailing. Because then hope is certain when it's fixed in something that's unchanging and unfailing. And the effect of that certainty upon our hearts bears present day fruit. Let me ask you this. What in this world today, let me, where you are, what in this world today can be characterized by any of those things being fixed, unchangeable, and unfailing? Tell me one. There isn't one. You can't guarantee the unfailing nature of anything that this world has created or has to offer. Your marriage, as good as it may be, relationships can fail outside of Jesus Christ. Systems, 401ks, careers, they fail. 
Retirement funds, ask people back in 07 and 08 how that went. They fail, right? All of those things are not outside of the influence of, thing, of, the, uh, of what this world brings about. All of them are subject to potential deterioration and failure. So my question to you is this today. I have two questions. The first is this. What do you hope in today? What do you hope in? Where have you fixed your hope? What person or process have you tied you and your family potentially to? Where do you hope? And secondly, my question is, what do you hope for? What do you hope in and what do you hope for? Do you hope for the things that the world offers or do you have hope for that which only God can offer? I mean, it's an excellent barometer for us as believers. And obviously, if you're outside of Christ, I would challenge you today, what are you hoping in? Your abilities? Your charisma? Your education? Your, you know, your knack for stashing away savings? Those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but I would just say to you today, they ultimately are not going to provide you with the hope that your heart, if you're really honest and genuine, that your heart longs for. We live in a hopeless time. Suicide rates within teens, it's astonishing. The hopelessness. People searching for a sense of meaning and identity in the causes that they thrust themselves into. Which again, I'm not saying they're wrong, but just hear what I'm saying. Finding their significance, finding their rootedness, finding their identity, finding their hope, their treasure in something, again, that is susceptible to decay and failure. So what do you hope in today and what do you hope for? As a believer, our hope is in Christ Jesus, in Christ alone. And I would just say again, remember, it's not what we believe or what type of knowledge we've come to. It's who he says that he is in spite of what we understand at times. So let's remind ourselves again by just simply reminding ourselves of the story of what began at the beginning and what is promised at the final culmination and all of what has happened in between and where we find ourselves in spite of the things that we do and the decisions that we make at times that the Lord Jesus has committed himself to be and has proven himself to be the faithful one, the true one, the hope of Israel. We, as Christians, hope for that which he has already promised, that he will complete what he has begun, that love, joy, peace, and hope's final and ultimate culmination will come in that day when he returns again to this earth. Let me say this to you today. Peace has a name. Joy has a name. Love has a name. Hope has a name. That name is Jesus Christ. It's not just a nebulous concept that you try to take a hold of. It's a person who desires to reveal himself to you, to be known and to know you and to be known by you. Romans 15 says this, may the God of hope fill you, and this is my prayer for us all. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May the God of hope fill you with peace 
and joy in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, this love that we have received, it births peace. We've gone through this progression of joy, love, peace, and hope through our Advent. But let me say this, that this love that we've received, the love of God that's been poured into our hearts, as I read from Romans, it births within us a sense of peace and joy, our peace with God and our peace with one another. That's been established because of the love of God shown through Jesus Christ. And that peace that we have, it gives us joy in this life. It gives us joy as we live this life to follow him. It gives us joy amidst the tumult. And it gives us peace with God and love which, in, which secures us. And all of these, they point to an ultimate and final expression when Jesus the Christ returns again to consummate the ages and brings us into an experience where love is perfected and peace is perfected and joy and hope are finally and ultimately perfected. They work together is my point. These things work together, these qualities, these characteristics. They work in us and they work through us and they're working towards what God is doing. And let me just leave you with this. I want to read Paul's words in Ephesians as we finish. This is Paul writing in the very beginning of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. He says this, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Just listen to these words and encourage yourself today. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And Paul says this, to the praise of his glory. That is the object of hope. 